Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the question on everybody's lips after week one of the Winter Olympics. If you had the choice, would you rather do the skeleton or the luge? Hello and welcome to the Second Captain's Podcast. I'm a luge man myself, Murph. Singles, not doubles. Yeah, the no, bottom I... athlete on a two-person luge must have committed some heinous acts in a former life to end up in that position. I can only presume it's community service. I don't, I don't know what's what's going on there with that person's life choice. You might need to explain the difference, first of all, well, for those who haven't been following. Well, having had uh, extensive experience with both of uh, I've come to the conclusion that the skeleton, and by that, of course, I mean travelling head first down the course, not feet first, yep. uh, as is the way of the luge. The way of the luge. Yeah. King the skeleton, the skeleton is the way to go. Mm-hmm. See, on the skeleton, you can steer with your shoulders and your hips, you see. You have a chance to manipulate your direction in a way that you just, you just don't get that with the luge, you see. On the luge, you're like a train on its tracks. You know what's coming, but you can't really effectively... Change your course. Seems like a very pre-prepared answer you have there. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> pre- oh, pre-prepared in that I've lived through the skeleton and the loose. Yes, that, that sort of multiple pre-preparation, yeah. You know, having watched multiple runs mm-hmm. of multiple Winter Olympics. So, I mean, I don't... If, if that's what you mean by pre-prepared. Yeah, you've done your research. If, 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 life experience. If yeah. that's what you mean by pre-prepared, then that's... That's fine. I'm I'm fine with pre-prepared. If you haven't okay. b- been won over by the charms of the Winter Olympics by now, maybe it's just not going to happen for you at this stage. I see you and McKenna, for example, has tweeted, the Winter Olympics really are utter shite. So you might not listen to the rest of this podcast, but for the rest of you, here's one. This is the kind of story that has us all buzzed up, right? Esther Ledecka, a Czech snowboarding world champion, decides to throw her hand at skiing. Big deal, you say? Pretty much the same thing, you reckon? No, first of all, she's the first ever athlete to compete in both skiing and snowboarding at the Olympics. In Saturday's Super G, which is one of the major skiing events, the Olympic champion from Sochi, uh, an Austrian called Anna Veith, Veith, was leading, as expected, with an amazing time. NBC had already named her as the winner before Ledecka's final run. So Ledecka was in 26th position. She'd never come close to competing against the best skiers. She's a snowboarder, remember, and was on skis borrowed from another athlete, American star Michaela Schifrin. So NBC were probably correct to write her off. Guess what happens next? What is it about Norwegian commentary? Oh, I thought it was the, the, sweet, the, the Swedish chef from the, the, the Muppet <laughs> Show. There. That's amazing. Yeah, it proves you need to know very little, or indeed understand very little of the commentary to love the Winter Olympics. She won the race. You're probably not surprised mm. to hear. Well, I want to know what the Italians made of all this here. Go on. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe it. I presume, is it? I presume. They sound extremely exhausted. Yeah. 
Yeah, they from do. all the drama on the slopes. Emotionally drained. I mean, I, I don't know how you, you make it in Italian commentary without being at least a little bit flamboyant, I would say. Mm. You know, keeping a sort of air of reserved calm isn't going to cut it for the Italian sports <laughs> ne- <laughs> networks. I'm just going to go out in the limb there. After the race. Racially profile uh, yeah. some of our European cousins there, but there you go. Ledeca afterwards was just staring at the scoreboard, kind of bemused for about 20 seconds. She was asked, what were your thoughts? And she said... But I thought it must be some mistake. They're going to switch the time for some others. I saw my mum. We were looking at each other. We didn't understand. (laughs) I like the fact that it's somebody who's so amazing and so confident at one sport, but is so shocked by her success in another Mm. that she can't... It's like she is a novice, which I suppose she was at that level. She also got a little bit angry about having to do the press conference afterwards, which she had this note, which was, come on, guys, I've got another gold medal to win here and they were thinking yeah you're one of the stories of the games now I'm afraid Ledeca you're going to have to give us some mm. banal quotes before we can go about our daily <laughs> business it's the way it works although a lot of people just don't give quotes to the media anymore Murph, as we've been discussing on the World Service over the last little while Sinead O'Carroll news editor of the journal.ie will no doubt be watching Ledeca doing her thing in the skiing Sinead's a Winter Olympics obsessive I think it's fair to say she was with us in with us on the World Service just before the start of the competition I believe that was her last human contact the 10 days since. So we're going to check back in with her today, see how things are going. And Michael Dygdon is on the way in for some hardcore mid-season, mid-league season, hurling talk. Mm. Specifically, we're going to talk Waterford, who appear to believe they're above the league now, Murph. I know. It's kind of an interesting... Uh, well, I mean, Derek McGrath kind of did this in, in brief last year by deciding to name an entirely changed team for a league quarterfinal. You know, Derek has been known in the past to, let's say go about things in a slightly different fashion from what everyone else is doing and it appears to have worked out alright for him but I just kind of feel like going out every single Sunday and getting quite bad beatings and your team not playing very well at some stage has to have a, an impact over and above just the two league points that you don't may not care that, too, uh, that much about but beyond the two points that you don't care about there is kind of a you know a creeping sense of God things aren't going very well at the moment so we're going to try and investigate whether that's actually a bad thing or a good thing Alright this bit is especially for you non-world service members it just occurred to me that you guys have never had the joy of hearing a Ken Early political podcast unbelievable it's been one of my favourite parts of our new model and last Friday's show got a huge reaction featured a conversation about Jordan Peterson don't know if you've been following the Jordan Peterson phenomenon He's his new book 12 Rules of Life and Antidote to Chaos is number one on the planet he's gone from an unknown psychology professor to the world's most famous academic in 18 months courtesy largely of a massive YouTube following here's Ken's simple Jordan Peterson breakdown in case you haven't heard of him he's kind of like a fire and brimstone sort of guy and he and he's sort of quite dorky as well in a kind of endearing way like there's nothing cool about this man no. You know who he actually reminds me of? Who? Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran. That's Ken breaking it down for the, the rest of us there, uh, in terms we might recognise. <laughs> the writer and academic Laura Kennedy is the other person there you can hear. She joined Ken. You might remember Laura from brilliant contribution on Conor McGregor when we were talking about McGregor at our live show in the Liberty Hall late last year. Now, World Service listener Brofs commented, fair play to Laura for taking the time during a high-minded philosophical discussion to allude to the fact that she thought she might be able to beat up Ken early should he ever try to steal her wallet. That is how you debate. He mentions the sort of uh, idea that, say, Tolstoy arrived at and that Gandhi sort of followed of non-violence. And he kind of says, well, obviously that's not going to work. We live in a, a world of conflict. You've got to stand up for yourself. And sometimes that's, that's even going to include violence. When it comes to pacifism, if I decide to be a pacifist tomorrow and you try to steal my wallet. You're not a pacifist. What am I going to do about it? You know, mm. like self-defense. Turn the, turn the other wallet. Yeah. Self-defense seems like a very wise uh, response in that situation. I mean, I don't know how well I'd fare, but I'd give it a go. Only one winner in that fight and in the podcast, if you ask me. But we'll let you make up your own mind about that. Make your, up your own mind that it was Laura once you've heard us. Uh, <laughs> heard the podcast itself at secondcaptains.com. That's how to become a World Service member. Go to secondcaptains.com and support independent member-led broadcasting, our bumper Six Nations show, the return of the players' chair, and much more to come this week and something big next month on the way. Second Captains will, believe it or not, be celebrating its fifth birthday. Our fifth birthday? You know yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, our With some fifth birthday. very special on. shows for World Service members. More news to come on that in the coming weeks. Five years old. Can you believe it, Kieran? Uh, not particularly. In ways, it feels very uh, like mm. a very short time since uh, we set up this little 
uh, venture on. But in other ways, it's it's a lifetime. So my answer to your question is yes and no. We have managed to drag Sinead O'Carroll from her underground lair. She's been <laughs> feasting on the coverage of the Winter Olympics. How are you doing, Sinead? Uh, jet lag's set in a little bit. but yeah. uh, <laughs> L- Lack of sleep. Just We're powering uh, through as I'm, best we can. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what time it is a lot of the time what, anymore. W- what's your nightly routine? At what, what stage do you knock off the Winter Olympics in the middle of the night? Well, what I've been trying to do is strategic napping. So like a f- couple of hours in the evening and then maybe get up at one o'clock right. and see some stuff and then I, go I back know, to bed for a bit. I don't know if you've ever seen the Seinfeld episode where Kramer decides that he can sleep <laughs> One 15-minute period in every three hours. <laughs> and I was going to suggest that to you. There was like, actually, no, there's a chance she could do this. And that didn't work out well for Kramer. And I don't think it's going to work out well for anyone who tries to no, do that. I have so. tomorrow off work, though. So, like, it feels like oh, I just yeah. needed to get to this point. Yeah, yeah, really kicks in. Now, Daniel Smith is a World Service subscriber. He tweeted saying, one of the best reactions at the Olympics was Aliona Savchenko yeah. and Bruno Masso coming from fourth place to win gold for Germany. Um, since the figure skating absolutely unreal routine they're both balling wouldn't have watched this only for Sinead O'Carroll's podcast last week so you're definitely spreading the word tell us about that <laughs> that warmed my heart that tweet so <laughs> yeah, really, <laughs> thanks yeah. for enjoying it Aliona Shevchenko is 34 years of age which in figure skating terms is for a female figure skater is ancient like that is she's this was her fifth Olympic Games and she had two bronze before she, she's five time world champion so she was no stranger to the podium just on you know that's what happens with the Olympics that's why it's so good it can be just not your day and you've no chance to redeem yourself for another four years um, she skated with a guy called Robin Sukalki he then retired because he was the same age and after Sochi he was like I'm not going on for another four years she said I'm not giving up on this dream of this gold medal found Bruno Masso uh, he's actually French and then switched allegiance to Germany so that he could train start training with her he's a huge guy I don't know if you watched the clip yeah, he is yeah no I watched the routine it was unbelievable yeah, yeah, yeah he's massive. so when he first started skating with her he was a little bit agricultural in terms of the like he could throw her and he could twist her but the rest of the stuff was a little bit dodgy she got him like to where he is today and so she got this big hunk of beef basically <laughs> moulded it in, in the way she needed which to makes it. her gold medal even more impressive not only was she able to keep going for five Olympics and get the gold but she also brought a partner um, with her and Robin who was her partner before and he has, has two bronze medals with her and uh, the five gold medals from the world championships he actually was coaching the Russian team who ended up messing up just after the German team so that's that's how kind of they got the gold but she came from they came from fourth in the short program so in, in figure skating you do a short program and so that's kind of like the semi-final but it's cumulative so you have to add up the points so coming from fourth to get a gold medal is really really rare the Chinese team don't usually make mistakes they made a couple of very small mistakes nothing major but just that routine was so perfect yeah it was amazing to watch yeah, yeah. and it, a, a lot of the time with pairs it, they don't do a huge amount of dance elements you'll see a lot of it as technical stuff but Christopher Dean of Dean Torval and Dean fame was yeah, one of the choreographers on yeah so he was at one of the he helped them with that so it had a little bit of everything it was just an amazing four and a half minutes the commentator said I think this is uh, unless I'm mixing up another routine the commentator said in the middle of it oh well they've got the difficult stuff out of the way now so they can go and enjoy the rest of <laughs> it the rest would look pretty hard and then, <laughs> and then I think just after that he lifted her up with yeah, one yeah, hand yeah. so the entry and the exit yeah. from the lift was one handed yeah, pretty good stuff. The quads was something we talked about last week. That was on the World Service, so we have got some Monday-only listeners oh, here. Yeah. Who, you, you want to re-explain what a quad is in figure skating and tell us how it's resurfaced during these Okay, moments. so a quad is when... Um, it's just men do the quads at the moment. Um, so they get off the ice to four full rotations off the ice before landing one-footed. Um, the men have been able to do a couple of quads each, so there's different types of jumps depending on how you en- enter and exit them. Um, so the quad has been something that's been there for a while. Most people have probably two, that's been kind of two or three. And Nathan Chen, this young American guy, has come along and he has been able to land five quads in one routine. And the quads can be over 10 marks each, so you're just building up this massive scoring base. Um, they're controversial because some people think that oh the men's competition is just jump 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 and losing all the kind of nice skating skills and you know you lose the kind of nice rounded skater um, so Nathan Chen was a uh, favourite to win this uh, because he had those five quad jumps he went out in the team competition and had one of the worst skates of his entire life and then went out in the short programme in the individual and had an even worse one right. so he ended up he, he missed pretty much all of his jumps in the, in the short programme just a terrible 
terrible routine, ended up down in 17th place. Um, but then the pressure was off, obviously, went out in the free programme and he landed his five quads. And it's actually a really good example of how the maths works because he ended up being able to leapfrog pretty much everybody and was at one point looked like he actually could win a medal even though his short programme had been so dismal. But he ended up coming fifth because a couple of the others were able to get four quads out of themselves. Um, and Yuzero Han knew the guy who won, actually had just come back from a terrible ankle injury and managed to pull four quads out of the bag. So did this all reignite the quad debate? Were people giving out that the quads are being given too much weight? Um, I think if Nathan Chen had managed to get on the podium, yeah, yeah. yeah that would have been really problematic because it meant that the short programme really didn't mean anything, which, you know, you, you can't have a whole competition and one half of it doesn't matter a whit. So I think because Han Yu, the other problem is Han Yu had this awful injury because of a quad. He fell on a quad and really did damage, was off the ice for two months. Um, there was an, a couple of the skaters just say they're not going to do them. There's one guy from Uzbekistan who's a beautiful skater and one of his reasons for not doing a quad is I want my body later in life. Like he just refuses wow. point blank to even just, attempt to do them. Is going to do too much damage yeah, uh, that, over the long term yeah. or just it might get a bad fall? It's, and it's, more, the it's, it's more the damage yeah, yeah. over long term. Tara Lipinski was a US figure skater and she won gold um, she says that her hips and from all that rotation you're doing because if you if you look up how they actually train a lot of the time they'll be in harnesses and ropes and they'll be swinging and learning how to rotate really quickly so you can imagine like the <laughs> the toughness that is on your body you know like we we talk about GA players and squatting is doing their hips injury imagine like you know doing that kind of rotation just based on the the power and velocity you're getting in a jump off the ice and then landing one footed as well and how did our Spanish uh, friend do oh our Spanish friend got on the podium this so. is Javier Fernandez, that you, uh, who, uh, whose card uh, you had marked our card yeah. about him. Uh, yeah, he won bronze, didn't he? He won bronze, yeah. So he actually was kind of unfortunate not to get the silver, but he just doubled out of one quad, so he only ended up... This is why the quads are so important in the men's skate. He ended up with two quads, and so he needed that third to get the silver medal. I'm still anti-quad, Murph. Yeah. Uh, to be was, honest, I, was I anti last week or was I pro? No, I'm, you I'm were you were anti. Really you were still was. anti. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I remain slightly pro, but to be honest, the yeah. Chen Farago, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, like Icarus, maybe he flew too <laughs> close to the sun. You know, that's my concern. Uh, speaking of Icarus. There's been a doping scandal involving a Russian curler. So, we did not plan that, yeah, by the way. Unbelievable. Well there. <laughs> I've been working on my segues for a long time. Yeah. Russian curler Alexander Kruzelnitsky, who won a bronze in the mixed doubles. We were. Uh, we were watching this and thinking well at least curling is one sport where doping probably doesn't make a big difference probably sh- it's the same thing people say about football it turns out it's nonsense it helps in most sports apparently so what's happened here yeah so well if you ask actually most uh, curling fans and, and curling even uh, stars they'll say what doping they're, they're bemused today uh, Reuters are the ones leading the story on this they got they got it from a source that Krzyzelnitski had failed uh, the test we don't have confirmation until the B test comes through today but he's already left Pyeongchang, I think he's in Seoul now, kind of waiting for that confirmation. Meldonium, the drug most known for Sharapova's yeah. use of it after it was banned in 2016. Um, so it's for endurance and stamina. <laughs> so again, some of the curler curling going, what? Like that's there's no need for that in our sport. It could be a case, you know, the way we had the boxer before the Olympics, it's a case of panicking just before a big and someone gives you something maybe that they'll say will help. It might be a case of that. It's really bad timing for the OAR. So, you know, the Russian athletes who were allowed in kind of on invite under the Olympic flag, they had been really, really uh, lobbying the IOC to let them use their flag in the closing ceremony and to, you know, kind of give some good grace back to Russia. Obviously, that's going to be much more difficult now when one of two people sent home during the Games was under, was competing under this flag. There have only been two people so far. Yeah, that okay. and a speed skater from, from Korea. Our favourite sport so far, I think, Murph. Yeah. Has, been, <laughs> has been snowboard cross. I know that's like saying... That's like talking to a football fan and saying, this Messi guy is a pretty good player. <laughs> it's quite an obvious sport to like. It's absolutely spectacular. Oh, it's, it's you couldn't, like, it, we were talking about how, like, the Winter Olympics is sometimes, like, letting kids just go out and, like, make up sports. And this is probably the best version of that. Like, can you describe it for people who mightn't have seen it? So sure it's they can watch them, the players. six people actually behind a trap. So in the same way that, you know, horses or, or greyhounds will be behind a trap the trap lets go and they start flying down a made course of really high jumps on snowboards but they all go together so you have six snowboarders going together and it's 
first across the post. It doesn't matter like what the style is. You know, some of them are mixed that they'll look at the, the style and the jumps. This is the less airtime you spend, the better because you'll just get onto the snow and, and across the line quicker. But this the falls and like I was reading an article the other day. I didn't see the, the race was one of the qualifi- qualifiers, but a guy from Austria um fell and broke his neck but then he so he broke a vertebrae but then he strapped on the board and ah, finished my. it anyway ah. <laughs> this proper snowboard snowboarders winter olympic stuff there I actually went home because we watched that in the office a couple of times mm-hmm. I did go home Sinead explained all the different TV stations that were showing mm-hmm. last week so it's on BBC it's on Eurosport live through the day and then there's an RTE highlight show uh, varying times I think it's normally on half seven during the week uh, in the evening I went home and watched it on, on highlights as well yeah Oh, was, no, I, I went home and immediately us. recommended it to my wife and I ended up watching the entire thing <laughs> yeah, all over again. Yeah, yeah, I was like trying it. not to, like, no spoilers. <laughs> but it's it was basically like Mario Kart yeah, with, you know, Olympic medals. Because you were really it. into the, the winner in the end. He was oh, your favourite. <laughs> what a legend. Pierre Voltier. Uh, as I was tweeting, ask me the man's name in two weeks' time. I wouldn't even know I'm what I'm surprised you still remember him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the thing with yeah. the Olympics. You kind of, oh, that happened two days ago, like, oh, yeah, whatever. But the yeah. women's the women's uh, races are, again, this is one of the other brilliant things about the Winter Olympics. Because you've no preconceptions about anything, they're all just as good as each other. So it doesn't really matter. They're, they're a few seconds slower. So the women's yeah. event was brilliant. And two of them in the final ended up crashing over the line um, just to try and get there first. So they just flung themselves um, Italian ed- Italian girl ended up winning it and the other two flung themselves to, to beat the American there are some names Sinead that you kind of remember around Winter Olympics time and one of them is Elise Christie mm. uh, this is uh, has been pretty heartbreaking so far so her background I mentioned her actually on the podcast last week she's a British speed skater crashed out of two of the uh, two of her races in the last Winter Olympics I think three was, yeah or yeah. Was disqualified anyway, disqualified she, yeah, yeah usually so she, from crashing out yeah missed out on all of them came back Won the won three world championship medals after receiving a lot of abuse online. She took out a Korean skater in the last Olympics and got a lot of online abuse from all of that. So she's had some issues there. Has come back is now two events into this Olympics and has crashed out of both of them. Yeah, and again is taking some flack for being an aggressive skater. Oh, they're which, saying it was her fault. It's been her fault. Yeah, but um, but you have to be aggressive though. Is it not? Well, that's speed the skating's whole... just all, it's all about barging the other people out of the way. The and whole point of it, otherwise you're line. just politely skating behind some <laughs> yeah, people like else. you're in the RDS, yeah. like yeah. Ho- hoping they're <laughs> all going to crash, which isn't maybe the worst tactic either. <laughs> the actually. Australian guy that worked yeah. for it, but yeah, so she and she's actually done damage to her ankle now. So she is tweeting away that it's a race against time to see whether. She she'll be able to compete so it'll be in the morning uh, first thing in the early hours in the morning for the, the her last event which would be the 500 so mm. she's hoping to be able to get back out but she has soft tissue injuries on her ankle because that crash was pretty devastating looking and she went really hard into the boards as well not for the faint-hearted speed skating but I think one of the problems is with the British uh, team there's not a huge amount of them and obviously they get hyped up a lot by and actually Eurosport have been as bad <laughs> as the BBC for it after all of my hyping up of Eurosport last week. Um, but obviously when you're the, the great white hope like and then th- this happens it's it's probably she feels it even more. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, kind of a bizarre um, way to live kind of the, the best two weeks or what could be the best two weeks of your life in that you live basically in anonymity for, you know, three years and, you know, 51 weeks. And then for all of this, it's an entire emotional roller coaster where people get invested in you, then you disappoint them, they get annoyed at you, and then they forget you. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's just, it's mm-hmm. an extraordinary way to go through your, like, that's her life, you know, for 10 years. That's the absolute cycle, yeah. yeah. And I guess maybe that's what Olympians... Um, at the top end, Olympians will, will can get used to that. But that pressure, I think when you're, when you're field depends on so many other things it's not like she can go out and she has full control over what she's doing you know there's people in front of her behind her on you know one millimeter thick skates so um that pressure is insane because say adam rapon the u.s figure skater we talked about who had the the fight with um mike pence pence, uh before he went out and I, i was worried about the same thing you know that insane uh, scrutiny on you for those two weeks that you're not used to but he's work, he worked in the opposite way he went out and every r- routine he did he killed it and ended up in a top 10 position which was probably you know a little bit above his station I'd say Just on Elise Christie I think the mental strength that she is going to have to show to come back is phenomenal because she crashed out of her first race and was bawling crying mm. through, through emotional pain 
crashed out of her second race and was bawling crying through physical pain. As I say, it looked like a really bad one. Her boyfriend then crashed out of his final, a Hungarian skater. And now she has to come back and try to, aside from physically getting better, it's, surely it's a big ask. It's tomorrow, I think. Yeah. If she is able to go out again, it'll Her be coaches have been asked that as well. Like, is it actually smart to put her out there? Um, like, for her mental health, not just her physical yeah. health. Like, should you? And he said that there's no problem, that she's tough and that she, you know, if she wants to be there, she will. Um, but yeah, at two Olympic Games in a row, if she, if the same thing happens again, three three races in both Olympics, that's a that's a really tough thing to overcome, I think, for any athlete. Yeah. Never mind that she is the best in the world. And um, I watched some interviews with her before uh, these Olympics, and she does talk about herself as being the best in the world. So she's not, you know, a wallflower who's mm. like afraid of this coverage. Um, but it, I just can't imagine you know the pain of finishing fourth and I spent some time with Annalise Murphy um, in the Summer Olympics this year and after it looked like she was close again her family were distraught at the thought that like maybe what happens if she gets pipped again like two Olympics in a row we won't be able to (laughs) overcome that and so I think that's that's part of this like three out of three and two Olympics in a row would be unthinkable so if she does go out there let's I don't know I'll get behind Team GB am I allowed to say that? I think so yeah, yeah. yeah let's get behind Elise Christie anyway yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's weird because like you think of mental strength in sport and say like the the best example we have in this country in the last couple of weeks is Johnny Sexton landing that drop goal mm. against France but I mean he gets there by you know failing loads of times or you know underperforming in in loads of games where he's put a lot of pressure on himself and like that's how you get there you know whereas with olympic sports you don't really get the chance to oh well you know i fa- i failed you know 20 times so that i can win this olympic gold medal it's like well i either do it at the olympics or i don't and that's it and you don't and the smallest things can happen we had a nice skater in the early hours this morning her dress came undone and kind of like she did amazingly and carried on and they're coming second now but the tiniest things can happen and as you said there's no period of redemption it's just well do I go again for four years with no money a lot of the time? And yeah. especially in the Winter Olympics, the funding isn't the same for a lot of countries unless you're in Norway or Germany, really. Sinead, what is the highlight for you this week? What should we be looking out for? Um, there's actually going to be, if you like the snow cross, there's going to be some ski cross. Yes. So that's it's not quite as good, but it's not bad. Towards the end of the week. <laughs> um, for me, it'll be the figure skating still. So we talked about Virtue Moyer, the Canadian couple who are looking to come back there. They're just gone into the lead in the early hours this morning they're coming first so they'll go for their medal uh, in the early hours of tomorrow so from about one o'clock okay. um, so that's my highlight for the week again still slash last four years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the highlight of my life yeah moment. still pretty nervous for them um, and then we'll have the ladies figure skating on Friday as well so um, I've really enjoyed the biathlon as well so if there's if you get a chance to watch some biathlon there's been there was a biathlon photo is one where they're skating and shooting they are skiing and Sk- shooting sorry, skiing yeah and shooting, I should so say, but yeah. they are they're cross-country skiing so they're like at, at times they're going uphill and they're going 15 kilometers and then they have to it's really fascinating to watch they have to like bring their bodies right down to do the shooting um, and they've if they miss the shooting they have to do a penalty loop of 600 meters so the whole thing is excruciatingly painful and after 15 kilometers the other day um, there was a photo finish so a photo finish on skis after 15 kilometers it's pretty good going so if you can get an opportunity to catch some of that too Okay we'll do our best Sinead listen congratulations on staying awake for this entire <laughs> interview thanks a million Chiefy dog got his out with mother about you know what me your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big teddy boots here in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so it's soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, you fans? Just need to fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing. You are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip. He's the biggest fool in Manchester. Quick update on the Russian curler Alexander Krushelniki has apparently told Russian officials that he fears a teammate who wasn't selected for the Winter Olympics spiked his drink with the Meldonium at a training camp before he travelled to South Korea. So we'll see what happens with that one. Murph, there's one aspect of the Winter Olympics we haven't touched on yet, a piece of theatre, oh, a yeah. repeated piece of theatre, I think yeah. you know what I'm getting at here, that I know you've been enjoying, just judging by how your eyes are glued to the uh, to the TV screen downstairs. Well, 
they ha- they have this thing, and obviously, uh, a lot of it is you know you, you you do your performance, and then you have to wait to see how everyone else does, and then you find out whether you've won. So it's not like it's the one hundred meters where you know, for better or worse, in ten seconds you know how you've how you've gone. So there's a lot of waiting around, but the TV companies have managed to engineer a situation where you do all of your waiting around to see if you've won a medal or not in the full glare of the media spotlight. So you have to stand basically. It's as if the podium from the beginning of the of the competition, the podium is in place. So you're constantly chopping and changing into the gold medal position, then the silver medal position. So, for instance, say the luge or the skeleton, which is what we've been talking about. If you're in the gold medal position with three runs left, I mean, you ha- you have to stand there and watch as you know the third the third last competitor goes in. You've lost your gold medal. Then you move to the silver medal position. The second last person goes in, beats your time. Now you have to you're busted down to the bronze medal position. Then there's the last run, and you know that like. Four minutes ago, I was getting the gold medal. I was in the gold medal position. There seems to be an unwritten rule that you have to show good camaraderie as well. Yeah. I don't know if it's all forced or if it's all real. I suppose it varies person to person, sport to sport, athlete mm. to athlete. But there seems to be the obligatory, congratulations, well done. Well done. I'll just shuffle off now to obscurity. Yeah. <laughs> so f- five minutes ago, you're standing there in the gold medal position. Now the camera is focused on you as you're in the bronze medal position and your heart's about to be broken. And we've watched the entire span of the human emotional experience uh, acted out on your face in front of the world <laughs> as you lose your bronze medal. And the last person comes in, takes the plaudits of the uh, the other two podium finishers. And you're like, everyone is like, sorry, could you just just walk like two yards over there? To your the arm rest- is still in shot See, here. It's the rest of the world, that's where that's a the losers, yeah. the, the, all the losers are in the rest of the world. And the winners are here in this three-yard square space. And you're kind of in the, the wrong area. I know for the last 10 minutes you've been in the area, and that's great for you, and congratulations. Now, they don't give out medals for the last 10 minutes. They give out medals for the rest of your life. See, what I told you Murph enjoyed there. this bit. It's just, it's so harsh. It's just, it's horrible. But obviously, extremely Amazing. entertaining. If you're managing one of the top hurling teams in the country and your sole focus is trying to win in All-Ireland, particularly with a county that hasn't won it for an awful long time, is it okay to throw your hat at the league? That's a question we're going to put to Michael Dygdon right now. Michael, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Waterford is who I'm talking about here in case you hadn't guessed. <laughs> <laughs> They've lost their first three years. very harsh opening. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly seems as though I mean, they've, they've named a couple of completely different teams, for example. So if you're just going with team selection alone, it certainly looks like the league isn't a competition that they're going balls out, as they say, to win this year. Is that understandable? Yeah. Um, I don't know, really. It's a risky strategy, I think. Uh, you know, I think if you look at Kilkenny when they were really successful, they, and, and even still, uh, look at them yesterday, uh, they kind of take every game and they play it on its merits and they try to win them regardless of what it is. Uh, but um, last year... Uh, Derek McGrath seemed to make that call against Galway and he, I think he made 10 changes for the Galway match last year and just put the emphasis on the championship and they went really well obviously all the way to the final but I think this year uh, you know I think there was a bit of soul searching from Derek would he stay on would he not stay on and he's very open about yeah. you know everything he talks you, you can see what it is and there is only one thing that matters in Waterford now at this day. it's become almost an obsession which it it should be for to win in All Ireland, but I suppose Galway winning last draft after such an absence and them being so close will give them a certain amount of comfort. They probably know twelve or thirteen of their championship team. Um, you know, there's going to be very few changes from last year, um, which I think they probably do need a couple uh, up front, maybe Patrick Horn, someone like that. But so I suppose it's understandable to an extent. He's been there; he's given so much of himself uh, to the job. A lot of those players have been there an awful long time. Uh, Kevin Moran, Michael Brick Walsh, um, and lots more than Philip Mahoney, Parik Mahoney. All these guys have have given massive service, and there's going to be a big change next year in Waterford, no matter what. Right? If the Windy learn great. If they don't, Derek is going to be gone. A lot of those players are going to be gone. So they're saying we can't stay going for the whole year. So we're going to just blood a few lads during the league and see where we are. Yeah, but see, that's kind of the interesting thing. Is like, is this the best way to go about trying to win the All Ireland later this year? You know, just kind of saying, right, okay, these league games will make a ton of changes, doesn't matter. Like, no one else is doing that. You know, everyone else, every other team in in the country seems to be pretty dialed in, 
maybe we can make the argument Dublin maybe aren't. But everyone else is dialed into this. They, they, they reckon the way to win the Ireland this year is to win as many league games as we can and get some momentum that way. Well, I have a theory about this anyway now. It is, I think players are training so much that you nearly couldn't go out on a Sunday and not try to, like the only outlet you have is to play your matches and, and they're all huge matches they're, you know, the, with the format with, there's big matches every week and you're training four, five, six, seven, ten times a week whatever lads are doing twice a day that you, you know, and you can see that in the hurling the, 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 the fitness levels the, the, you know, the, the tackling the, but the hurling the skill levels everything like it's fantastic hurling for this time of the year it's, it's really really enjoyable in a lot of the matches um, so it's a very you know so how do you get your players not to go out or do you tell them not to so it, like, maybe it's not all that but they're making the changes and and you know I think you see Galway as well there maybe over the, since they are they've had the luxury in Division 1B of maybe just playing 6 or 7 lads or 7 or 8 lads and slowly bringing them in but at the same time you know shortly they'll want to see probably an improvement in the performances and you like to get your team back near the end of the league so it'll be interesting to see in the last match or two in the league you know or when will Waterford decide they'll decide they're going to wait now till, till the championship uh, to play their team or their championship team so there's all those things and it's like everything else if they win the All-Ireland or they go very close or whatever people would say it was the greatest strategy of all time and years ago it was different like we, 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 wouldn't, we would have had a small panel in Offaly say for example it was very hard to play every game but most of the lads did play every game but it was very hard to get up for that level to win all those games and then try to peak in the championship as well but with, with bigger panels and I've said this you're going to even need bigger panels this year because of all of, of the, particularly in the round robin series, with the four matches coming week 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 uh, week after each other. So um, it remains to be seen. And look, there's no doubt that Waterford are going to be a completely different kettle of fish. But at the same time, sometimes you, you build confidence during the league. You get beaten a few times, you know, and badly beaten. Can that be a, something that's very hard to get over as well? So these are the questions that are going to be answered. There's also the question this year in the championship for the first time really of home advantage it's going to be a big thing in the round robin and in, in the football and the super eights but in the hurling and the round robin they're going to be Waterford are playing a couple of games at Walsh Park in, in their provincial championship now so I, I would have thought you'd like to have put an idea out this is going to be a tough place to come you know any team that comes here in the league is going to struggle any team that comes here in the championship is going to struggle and that hasn't been the case is that a problem at all because it's home advantage up until now really hasn't mattered that much in the gym so, so many matches are at neutral venues yeah, I think it is. If you look at league matches, mostly they're won by the team at home. Like a lot of the time they're won at home, by the team at home. They're very tight usually. And uh, and Waterford would have been one of those places as a player you'd say it's hard to go and win there. You know, um, Wexford Park, everywhere like really you'd say it's hard, hard to go to Nolan Park or Wexford Park. And and um, yeah, you don't want to be, you don't want to be losing that. But look, they've they've gone this route now and and they've put they've set out their stall. Um, and to me, it's really about the bigger decisions for Waterford are where are they going to put. Key man, where's Austin Gleason? Is he going to be half kind of centre forward out on the middle field? I think you need to give him a job, you need to put him centre back or midfield or whatever and say that's it, you're there and build your backline around Tyg de Burke and whoever else. And are they going to push forward a bit more? Like, just there's those questions answered. We're very close to winning Ireland with their system, and we all know how to play, and they developed it over the last couple of years greatly with you know, with runners and everything else and scoring from distance. But, um, you know, I see. I just still see tr- trying to win Ireland with one man inside or two men. You know, are they going to have a change of strategy there? So I think there are bigger issues for them maybe than how they're playing at the moment or where they're playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, like did, Tom Devine looks like he will be an addition, and he was very good actually against Galway in that league quarterfinal that they kind of <laughs> threw last year. Um, you know, picked a totally different team for, and so may- maybe you know he comes through. It's worth more than four league wins for Waterford this year. It just it's it seems kind of strange when everyone else is taking a totally different route, you know. And this is kind of the thing that Derek McGrath kind of has a name for now, nearly just overthinking things to 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 a huge degree, you know. Like maybe the game is a lot simpler than Derek McGrath thinks it is. Yeah, well, I, I suppose it depends where you're coming from from a county's point of view. If like go back to Kilkenny again, like Brian Cody's team yesterday were insanely determined because they don't want to go down like they've never been relegated in Brian Cody's time and they weren't going to be relegated on his watch you know as far as he can see now there's still a bit to go you know there but Waterford obviously look in big trouble now so it, it really I suppose it's um, this is what we're going to do this is what suits us best um, I would think it's a risky enough strategy I think you need to get your get your confidence levels up get the lads playing winning those matches you know because last year I thought that win against Kilkenny in, for the first time really gave them that belief that they could go on so maybe they think they have all this in the bag um, but things can change very very quickly and you know I, I don't think it's a good thing to go out you're a, you're a competitive sportsman 
your nature should be to win, every, try to win every ball, win the next ball. It's simple to, when you break it into into uh, basics of the game and trying to win matches and to go and lose and lose and lose. And their confidence can be fragile. I think you know they're a confidence team, so it, it could be a very risky strategy. Um, but it's done now, so it can't be undone. Yeah, the comparison with Clare is pretty stark because Clare have gone out, obviously won their first three games. They're flying it. They've made Cusick Park. You know that you know the archetypal tough place to go, but they really have. They've cultivated that, and you know you can see. Like say when I'm looking at the the fixtures for the Munster Championship this year in May of this year, May and June, you're looking at games in Cusick Park where it definitely will be a sellout. It definitely will be eighteen thousand people. They'll try and make sure that there are as many of those as possible are Clare men and women. Um, like. That that to me seems like a real home advantage. That seems to I'm me get, like like I'm getting excited here, even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, but I mean, like when when you're talking about uh, the advantages of the round robin and the idea that you've got home and away games as opposed to just every game in Thurles. Funny enough, Cusick Park is the place that I think of that is a real boon to Clare in a way that you know, like people are used to playing in Limerick and Porky Cueve and and Thurles and that, but. They're not used to going to Cusick Park in summertime and playing championship games in this tiny little stand that's going to be a lot of noise. Like, you know, th- that to me seems to be the perfect way to go about the league and the way that Watford are doing it all wrong, Clare are doing it all right. Yeah, well, it's funny I mentioned, you know, when our rivalry with Clare was at its height in 97, 98, 95, all that time, we were down there three or four years in a row in the league. And it's hard to believe now, but full houses, like for league matches, uh, Easter Sunday, I think three years in a row we played them. And the atmosphere, you know, particularly after 98, we had the three matches. We first round of the league, we draw Clare, or whenever, yeah, that year wasn't Easter Sunday, but we drew Clare in the first round, and it was like an All Ireland final down there. It was a bad day, plenty of hitting in it, but uh, good crack, actually. But uh, <laughs> I just looking at Clare. Look, gazing wistfully out yeah, the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can actually look away there momentarily. Well, there was a ball early in the game where we had a bit, we had a bit of a tussle, and myself and Brian Quinn and Lohan got involved as well. It was good crack. But anyway, uh, the good old days. Who came out worse than that? No, we're all okay we're all still talking to each other <laughs> and had a couple of pints of brain there last year so we're okay um, the way it should be but I I just have Claire and Cork yesterday um, they, like, obviously they've won their three games but I thought the simplicity of maybe of their game plan compared to where they were at it was amazing in the first half they had, a, had the wind they took sharp hook outs to the full back and they bypassed the Cork half back line now it sounds so simple but their full forward line Shane O'Donnell who is on fire he's just so like he can and he's not a big man but he can win his own ball and Peter Duggan is, is playing great hard inside and Podge was in the other corner who worked hard and he was replaced eventually but they were getting the ball in there they were either scoring or winning frees or creating from there and you know I was looking at Cork saying why don't you push up on the cornerbacks and stop them and make them poke the ball out to the halfback it'll be landed on the halfback line and you can defend from there but they were actually they didn't so that worked perfect but then they were also didn't lose all the running game there was one point in the second half I don't know if you saw Tony Kelly caught an unbelievable yeah. ball and he played a 30-40 yard pass to O'Donnell he he jinked off his left and he just passed the ball back under his arm to Kelly coming through and over the bar. Like it was just, it was it was. You can see the enjoyment in their game and 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 I think you know there's a certain amount of talk. I think a lot of their um, coaching over the last couple of years have become you know uh, their training sessions became very long from what I can gather and it was meetings after them, a lot of video analysis and I, and I think lads were going in at seven o'clock to train and getting out at eleven o'clock and and I think I think they got tired and like for young lads that. We all wonder why are they going backwards, but they seem to be really back. Colin Galvin and Kelly in midfield, the forward line, you know, with so many options. And I suppose it'll be again. We we talk about most counties, you know, the tip full back line last year didn't go as well as the year before. Probably why it cost them back to back all Ireland. Gall were very stable at the back. Kilkenny with a few troubles at the back, and maybe Clare might have one or two to find there yet. But that remains to be seen. But they're playing super hard. Yeah, and uh, it's it's weird. I'm sure. Uh you know, when you're working on the Sunday game every summertime, you see enough uh, enough hurling to see, right, okay, there's two or three things on every team that are just easy fixes that you would think that, and it, maybe it's not within a manager's remit, but what they need are one or two simple things. And with Claire, always it was forwards who can win their own puckouts. And you kind of see, you know, they throw uh, this guy DC in who's been very good. Uh, Peter Duggan, who did brilliantly in the second half against Porik Maher in the quarterfinal last year, kind of nearly changed the game back in Clare's favour. He looks like he's getting an extended run of the team, plus John Conlon. And it kind of seems like that's what they needed. And if you throw those three guys in with Podge Collins, Shane O'Donnell and David Reedy, who's playing brilliantly as well, all of a sudden you, Clare looked like a complete package in a way that they weren't. They always looked undersized, but now they have they have options. Yeah, they have, but 
it's I suppose it's how you may, maybe in the heat of championship battle that half forward line still might be strong. You know, that looking this physical size, um, we might talk about Limerick in a few minutes. But I saw their half back line in person against after, and they're massive men. You know, and you so so that's what I was saying was clever about their game plan. They didn't want the terms of engagement to be on the half line. They wanted the ball going over the half line into the full line. But teams will cop that, and they might be dropping sweepers back. So then you have to have maybe other options. But with Kelly and Galvin midfield, there's options to spin the ball wide to them as well. So. You know they're looking at all those things, and they know the personnel they have. Like even though David Reedy and Shane O'Donnell and Podge are small by county standards, they're very good hurlers and they're tough and they're hard and they can win their own ball to a certain extent. But they don't want to be standing fifty-fifty with Park Maher because they're not going to win the ball. So it's how you you know play your diagonal ball and how you do that. Um, so they're all the things. Every county has. You're not going to have the perfect fix everywhere. Uh, but the teams that have won. Kilkenny had huge forwards that could win their own ball. Galway have massive forwards now. They're just gigantic men. Um, and it is a big part of the game uh, when it really comes down to the, the John McGrath, Tipperary, Callanan, all these lads can. Uh, uh, and a weakness in tip would be under half forward line too at times where they can't win their ball. So it, it's, it's probably something that's not actually practised in the game or coached as much as it should be considering it's so important because what literally just winning winning your own ball winning yeah, high balls winning high ball like it's a big weakness in Offaly for the last 15-20 years where we would have had traditionally very good players in the air um, the Dooleys and you know different players in the forward, half forward line able to catch puck outs uh, John Troy very quick hands under the ball Dahi Regan pulling on the high ball but that's it's something I think an awful lot of training if you go to watch a training session at inter-county level 95% of the ball is on the ground but in a county match, the only way you can win the ball is out of the air. So it doesn't. The balance doesn't seem to be right there for me from a young age. It's all cones and low and 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 running and movement. But that high ball is still crucial, and it ch- it's a game changer. Cause if you catch a ball out of the air, the defender doesn't know where you are. You're gone with the ball, and the options open up in front of you. So or minimum, you get a free. Minimum, you get free. Yeah, or or a score. Like if you catch a cl- high ball clean, you generally get that extra yard off your man. Or, mm. But something comes off it generally, and and that's why John McGrath for tips, say, for example, inside and full forward, he's so dangerous because he can win that ball and and stick it in the net in two seconds. And uh, you know, Duggan is a big man in there for Clare as well. Now maybe with that same option. Well, just a word for uh, on Limerick. You mentioned them there. They a comfortable win at the weekend. Are they the exact kind of team that could benefit from? Uh, winning the league this year? Yeah, I think it's huge. For, I think there's a huge desire in Limerick Hurling for many, many years. Like, if you know Limerick Hurling people, there, and we say this about every county, there's different types of people, but Lim- the Limerick country, rural person that involved in Hurling, like, they have a, a, just an insane passion for it, and they're down for so long. And uh, TJ Ryan is a great guy, I don't, anyone that knows him, and he did, he did great work and just didn't get them there. They got that. Richie Power late goal in 13 was it and the wet really wet mm. day they looked like they had that game and then they never really recovered from that under TJ I think it took the life out of them but John Kiley's in there now different type of personality but he's actually a neighbour of TJ's down in Gary's plan and uh, he played with them and uh, I just you see the under 21 sometimes they don't come through but there just seems to be an unbelievable crop they don't have the Napiercy lads at the moment they're down, down a couple of other lads you can see UL with Ronan Lynch and Kyle Hayes and all these lads subs on the, on the UL team because they're playing so much mm. but um, they're working off a limited panel but a, and the likes of Aaron Galan who's come up from under 21 and Sean Finn and, and you know there's so many of them and they're half back and Dermot Burns is a phenomenal hurler so I, I really do think that this Limerick team is building now look you have to do it in championship and you have to do it on the big days and that remains to be seen we've always said that but to me, they would be the dark horse of, of the teams. I've only seen them in 1B, um, you know, that there's bigger games ahead. But it's probably a nice place for them now without the lads. They're building confidence and uh, I, think they're going to, I think they're going to be a, a team that we're going to really um, look for in the championship. All right, we'll keep an eye on them. Listen, Michael, great stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, lads. In the final and on in again. And the
There were a few games of football on over the weekend also, Murph, that were carried over from last week mm-hmm. and that have been postponed. I know you were down in Kerry. Yes. I don't know, did you catch any of the Mon and Kerry game? Well, I was, sorry, it was an away game, but maybe you watched it on TV with the locals. Well, yeah, so I'm, um, I was driving home from uh, Valencia Island yesterday. Lovely uh, spot the, up in there. Ah, myself, oh, yeah. beautiful one. Uh, driving the, the ring. Did the quarry there, did you? The quar- no, I didn't go to the quarry. No, it's up, kind of up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Keep serious fitness together. Wouldn't have been a great man for the sort of physical exertion this weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very much car-related yeah. uh, touring. But um, so we're the plan is driving home from Valencia. We'll stop off and get some lunch somewhere. Now, unbeknownst to my travelling companion, I was making few mental yeah. calculations yeah. to ensure that I would be able to listen to the Radio <laughs> Kerry commentary. <laughs> Radio Kerry commentary. And I decided that, you know, discretion is the better part of value here. I mean, you can't delay lunch till four or indeed have it at half one. So let's miss the first half. We'll get the second half. So that's what we do. So I was very excited to hear Weishi Fogarty on yep. the commentary. Of course, Weishi wasn't commentating yesterday, which oh. I was pretty disappointed about. <laughs> uh, but I tuned in, uh, Gary O'Sullivan and Tim Moynihan, uh, and having listened to the last 10 minutes of the first half and the entire second half on Radio Kerry, I did find it quite hard to remember that it was still February uh, because uh, <laughs> there was a lot of annoyance, a lot of excitement. Uh, Kerry were a point down with about a minute to go. Paul Murphy went soloing through the heart of the Monaghan defence. He was stopped, appeared to have been fouled, judging by the commentary but was blown for overcarrying. The reaction in the commentary box was one of <laughs> extreme irritation. <laughs> like I've, I mean, I've heard a lot of biased uh, local commentary, but this was really, this was another level. The, the level of annoyance at Kerry's insipid first half performance, the level of excitement as Kerry then came back into it in the second half. So are half. we talking maybe All-Ireland semi-final level of This is my Not concern. Not quite All-Ireland final. No, this is my concern. I literally have no idea where they go from the base level that they've set for 2018 yesterday. Yeah. I, there's no way that they can top that. It's like the time Ken sang Wuthering Heights on air and started yeah. at a pitch that was just a bit too high. Yeah. And he struggled thereafter because yeah. there was just no higher. Yeah, I'd, 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 I, I'm concerned as to how they can adequately convey the magnitude of mm. any other game that they're going to watch this year given the efforts that they poured into <laughs> Kerry against Monaghan. Sounds on. like fun though. February. Says that they jazzed up uh, run-of-the-mill league fixture. Ah, listen, I got as far as Ballincollig, uh, <laughs> Owen, and I didn't even notice that I'd crossed the Kerry border like 45 minutes earlier. Uh, that's it for today. We've got all our World Service podcasts coming up during the week. Thanks very much, Karen. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.